All right, welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Mike Rosenbaum. And uh, guys, um, there's quite a bit going on in the news uh, in regard to the minor leagues, prospects, draftees. Um, We are currently awaiting a formal announcement that the minor league season will be canceled, um, which comes as no surprise and has has been expected throughout the past few months. But um, we talked a little bit about that last week and what what that's going to mean for the development of minor leaguers this year. Uh, We also know a little bit more than we did last week when we talked about this because the player pools uh, came out since our most recent podcast. Um, Let's jump in there and talk a little bit about uh, what you guys have seen from the player pools. Um, Anything unexpected and uh, let's, let's talk about some of the more intriguing additions and, and, and uh, Jim or Mike, why don't you first of all, kind of give us a rundown on, on how this works and and what, uh, what we're going to, see with the 60, 60 man uh, rosters this year. Well, I was going to say, I think our knowledge is still evolving because one thing that initially confused me, you know, Sunday was the deadline, I believe to set your, your 60 man player pool of guys who theoretically can appear in the majors for you. And obviously this is necessary because we're not going to have minor leagues. So if your catcher gets hurt, you don't have a triple A team with a ready replacement. You have to have your replacements already kind of spoken for. And it seemed like there were a lot of teams that kind of released pretty much their full roster with a lot of prospects on it. And then there were other teams that released like three quarters of a roster, I guess maybe focusing on players who had a chance to make their opening day roster and not so much the prospects. Now, my understanding, and I think this is right. You guys could tell me if I'm wrong, is I believe everybody did kind of set their rosters but they haven't necessarily announced all the players. And I know from talking to agents of draft players, you don't have to have been officially signed before Sunday. If they sign you, like we all expect Max Meyer is going to be placed on the Marlins 60 man list. He's not officially signed yet, but they can add him after that Sunday deadline. So it was a little confusing to me at first why some teams had 10 or 15 prospects and full, you know, 60 man lists. And then other teams didn't have any prospects really at all and, and had like 45 man lists. But I, I think I explained that right. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. You know, you, you look at the, uh, so we put together, we have a list on the site of each team's, top 30 prospects and 2020 draftees who were added to their team's uh, player pool roster. And just right at the top to kind of illustrate what you're talking about, Jim, the Blue Jays have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 of their top 30 prospects are on their player pool list, whereas the next team on our list, we're going by division here. The Orioles have just three. Um, and we know with the Orioles that uh, there's going to be, there will certainly be more names added to that list uh, from the draft class, if nothing else. 
and especially because some of those guys are, are already on the team's 40 man roster too. Like we were before we came on the air, we were talking like Mount Castle isn't on that list, but he's a 40 man guy and a, you know, an obvious big leaguer for them this year. So um, I think they're just kind of staying mum to, to, to some extent when, when they have to, but I'm also sure behind the scenes, there's probably a, a lot of decision-making still going on, even with those player pools largely in place. And I was going to say, like, I mean, who knows because of the coronavirus. Right, that too. But but in a in a in with a 60-game season that we're shooting for here, I mean, how many players are you going to need? If, if they can keep guys healthy, maybe 40 or 45. And that, uh, you know, look, there, there's talk and hope that maybe we have expanded fall league with, you know, maybe a team, each organization having a team of players, or maybe you have expanded instructional league or like some version of minor league spring training for your best prospects. But as of now, this is your only, I have even hesitate to use the word guaranteed, but the only structured way to get prospects development time is to be part of, as of right now, being part of this 60 man list. So, you know, the Orioles, you know, like you just mentioned, you know, they, they came out, I think they came out and explicitly said, the 44 or so guys they announced are guys who were in competition to make their opening day 30 man roster. But like, if I'm the Orioles, Adley Rutschman, I, I want him participating in my auxiliary team, you know, training and DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez. Cause I mean, for the Orioles, it doesn't matter how they do at the big league level this year. I mean, the only thing that really matters is how bad are they and how good of a draft pick do they get next year? You know, it's going to be key to develop those guys. So I, I would think when all is said and done, we will see, I would think, the vast majority of teams' top five or ten prospects in each organization on auxiliary squads or taxi squads or whatever we're going to call them. Even if even if some of those guys, you know, won't be in the big league. You know, you, you mentioned the Blue Jays. I mean, Jordan Groshans is one of the guys I was really looking forward to see what he would do this year. He hasn't played above low class A. So I don't think we're going to see Jordan Groshans in the big leagues this year. And he hasn't played like May last year too, because he missed most of the year with a a foot injury too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, I like just being on these lists doesn't mean that you're going to play in the big leagues because teams aren't going to need, if teams need 60 players to play in the big leagues and we have, then we have problems. So I I think when all is said and done, the VAT, like I, I would think on our top 100 prospects list, unless somebody's hurt or, or has the coronavirus, that you're going to see all those guys on on 60 man lists. Yeah, and I was just and, looking at the Padres list of uh, players who have been added to their 60 man pool, and so far uh, there are 17 of their top 30 are part of that player pool, including nine of the top 10. Um, I mean, and I guess you could even say if you include like Robert Hassel the third in there, like 10 of 10. You know, like that's a that's a strictly yeah, and, top prospect group there. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, like the Tigers, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, you know, sign number one overall pick Spencer Torkelson today, and they're going to add him. I haven't seen if the Orioles are going to add Heston Kerstad, the number two pick, but I would assume that they would. Uh, Max Meyer, the number three pick, is supposed to be added uh, to the Marlins once his signing is official. Um, Asa Lacey, the number four pick, I have not. I don't know if the Royals have announced any draft picks. I don't know if he'll be on that list, but he'd be a candidate. You know, the Mariners have already put Emerson Hancock, the number six pick on their list. You know, Hassel's on there as a high school player out of this draft. Reed Detmers is. And I think we'll see guys who, you know, could possibly play in the big leagues this year 
Uh, you know, I think we're, you know, this will probably be the first time since 2014 that we'll see a guy come out of the draft and play in the big leagues is you have contenders say, Hey, look, we just drafted, you know, I think it'll be primarily pitchers, you know, this guy with a great arm and we're contending. Why not? Why not use him for a few innings in the big leagues? Yep. Especially when you have to assume pitchers are going to be on a limited work schedule with that, without having been able to build up the proper innings and go through the proper spring workload that, uh, I mean, I think that's going to be, I mean, I, I think that's very possible and, and not even possible, but uh, realistic that we're going to see some of like the top arms from this year's class or uh, last year's class making their debut, you know, possibly pretty early in the season. You know, uh, if it's one of the best arms in the system at this point and they're on the 60 man player pool in the 60 man player pool, why not utilize them? Yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. So it'll be it'll be interesting to, to see how this all plays out, you know, Hopefully uh, they get the season going and, and things run as smoothly as we can hope. And, and we go from there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the policy is that if you remove a guy from the 60 man player pool roster, he's ineligible to rejoin. Is that correct? Yes. But there is yes. like fluctuation is allowed, like where, where you can add and subtract guys from, from that group. Correct. I think 40 man guys can move back and forth. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's possible too. They, I mean, I we saw something today. They're already talking about changing one rule or negotiating. I, I don't even think those rules are finalized. I, I think a lack of change in the next gotcha. three weeks and, and we'll see. I, I, I think that, I think they basically want to give teams flexibility, but don't, don't let put, set it up so that you can abuse it by shuttling guys on and off lists, you know, willy nilly. I, I think they don't, they don't want that to happen. So, Mike, you were you were rattling off just one particular team's top thirty prospects, um, but it, it looks like that's pretty representative uh, for the most part. If you if you scan through the teams, they do have twelve, fifteen, you know, even close to twenty of their top thirty prospects on these player pool lists. And Jim, you mentioned uh, that you would expect that out of the top one hundred, we would probably see pretty much all of those players on these lists. And it looks like maybe with the exception of a couple of the very youngest players on the top 100, that that is, that is the case. Um, Jason Dominguez uh, looks like a, a notable exception and he's the youngest player on the top 100 list. Um, one of the youngest players on the list um Marco Luciano is, in fact, on the Giants player pool list. Uh, another one of the younger players that looks like is not is, let's see, Mets catcher Francisco Alvarez, who's just 18 years old. But, yeah, I think uh, for the most part it looks like you're right there, Jim, that we're going to see pretty much all of these guys on these lists. With an exception hey, 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 from injured to pitchers too. too. Yeah. Cause I, you know, it's like, you look at the reds list and like Hunter green isn't on there. So like, I think guys who are coming off injuries uh, and, and, you know, are capable of training and rehabbing on their own. Um, you know, I'm sure they're still at the facility doing all that stuff, but it, it, I think it makes sense why you don't see some names like for, for example, Hunter green on these lists. Yeah, and I was going to say, just with the Mets, too, they're one of the teams that really has announced that many of their prospects. They only have 50 players on their list, and, you know, we, we may see Alvarez. You know, Dominguez, I guess that one doesn't surprise me, you know, because he's yet to make his pro debut, although it's interesting that you see the A's put Robert Poisson on their list. And, mm-hmm. and like Dominguez, he was part of last year's international crop, and he hasn't made his debut either. I, You know, it'll be, it'll be curious to see who's on here. 
uh, you know, Dominguez, I, I don't know if the Yankees would have done this, but there was talk that he might even be so advanced you could put him in low class A to make his pro debut. So we'll we'll see. But, uh, you know, but I think they have I think the Yankees have two spots open on their roster. It would be kind of I, I want to see Jason Dominguez in actual pro action. So uh, if the Yankees are listening to this, come on. You've got two spots open. Send him to send him to the camp. Come on. Another thing, going back to the Mets really quickly, I saw that yesterday, I believe it was, they um, they signed like a couple of free agents, Hunter Strickland and Gordon Beckham. So I think it's important to keep in mind, too, that teams are still trying to build out, you know, a uh, potential roster with, with some actual big leaguers and depth pieces before announcing or finalizing which prospects. So let, let's talk about, we talked a little bit about now uh, some of the guys that are not on the list. Why don't you guys highlight some of the more intriguing names that you saw on these player pool lists? Go for it, Jim. Um, well, I mean, to me, it was the draft guys. But, I mean, beyond that, I mean, it, it's guys, you know, again, I think the best prospects in baseball and wondering, okay, does it mean we might get to see them? You know, Wander Franco. I mean, again, I know he's on there probably primarily for development reasons. But, you know, the Rays are going to contend. He's so gifted. Could we see him in the big leagues at some point? You know, I was excited to see Mackenzie Gore on there. Um, you know, and I think, you know, looking at the Tigers, you know, we, we've talked a number of times on the podcast about, you know, how they're, they're pitching, their young pitching so so impressive. And to see Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal, I, I think, I mean, those guys are almost big league ready. We might actually see them in Detroit this year. And for me, it's, I think a lot of the interesting inclusions in the player pools are some of like the younger guys. Um, one that jumped out to me was Cardinals catcher, uh, Ivan Herrera, who hasn't played above the double A level. I think he's 19 going on, going into his age 20 season. Um, but you know, good catchers, guys who can hit, um, which is, you know, Herrera is a, um, more offensive than defensive catcher at this point, but still plenty good defense. I think guys like that carry extra value right now. Um, not not just in the sense that they are very good prospects, but they you know occupy a position uh, where there are you know few very good options, uh, and I think it makes sense to for teams to develop those types of players, even if they seem like unlikely candidates to play in the majors this year. Another one, really quickly, uh, I thought Seth Romero with the Nats was a pretty interesting one too. I know he's had his off the field problems, but uh, and Tommy John surgery, but. All reports I got last year, late last year, where he looked great in instructional league. Um, and I, I think he's the type of player who's been forgotten about for for various reasons, um, understandably reasons. And somebody who could step up and help the Nats in, in a bullpen role this year. Um, I, I think that's another interesting selection. Hey, I could see that too, Mike. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about a team that obviously is looking to win. They won, they won all last year. They've already had two of the four players we know about who've, who've opted out our nationals to this point, their farm system is not one of the strongest. So basically anyone who can help them, they're going to look at. And yep. I mean, Seth Romero, I mean, yeah, there are, you know, makeup issues and reasons he lasted 25 picks in 2017 draft, but there aren't too many lefties with, with his kind of stuff. And if he can help them, he can help them. Yep. Exactly. Now, speaking of guys that could help, um, Jim, I know you said that some of the 2020 draftees, um, that are on player pool lists you find to be among the most intriguing names. Um, and you also did a story looking at 2020 draft picks who could be quickest to the big leagues. I was wondering whether 
I think you did that story before the rosters were set. Um, were there any names included 2020 draftees that you had not considered in your story about 2020 picks who, who could be quickest to the big leagues that now that they're on that list uh, could potentially be among the quickest to the big leagues? Um, I don't think there's anybody I've seen on a list. A lot of the, like I said, a lot of the draft guys haven't been added yet. You know, I, I didn't have Robert Hassel on there, for instance. But again, I think that's purely developmental. I, I, I do not think the Padres are going to take Robert Hassel from high school to the big leagues this year. Um, you know, the, I, we cut the list off at 10, you know, 10 college guys. And I, I added Mick Abel as a high school guy. The one guy who I didn't quite have room for because I want heavy, heavy pitching was Heston Kerstad. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think the Orioles are going to put him in the big leagues this year, but I, I bet he will be added to the 60 man. I, I still think the guys who are, who are the most obvious to me, you know, broke Caraway, the Cubs, who has not been added yet. The Cubs have, have 10 spots open. I think he's as, as good a lefty reliever as the Cubs have on their, on their roster right now. You know, second round pick out of Dallas Baptist, best reliever in the draft. You know, the Angels are contending. Reed Detmers might be one of their best starters right now. You know, super polished guy out of Louisville, number 10 overall pick. You know, I could see the White Sox, another team that's looking to contend this year with Garrett Crochet. Why couldn't you do what they did with Chris Sale 10 years ago, where he's a lefty with great stuff. You, you bring him to the you know big leagues as a reliever, you know, in his first year, and then you try to make him a starting pitcher down the line. Um, you know, in, in general, like, that's a team that's been aggressive with college draft picks, college uh, pitchers whom they drafted yeah. as well too, yeah. You know, so I could see that. I mean, from a talent standpoint, I mean, again, I don't know why it would make sense for the Tigers, but like I, I, Spencer Torrelson could, could probably be the Tigers' best first baseman right now. Now, it, you know, there isn't really a reason to do that because of the service time considerations. Um, but like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, you know, three, four, five pitchers pitch in the big leagues this year. I, I think it's possible. Yeah, and you didn't, um, you didn't rank them in this story, Jim, you just listed them alphabetically. And I think you just answered this question generally, but if you, if you had to put your money on any one player from this list who would be first to reach the big leagues this year, uh, one of those, one of the pitchers you just mentioned. Yeah. And I, and I think it would be Caraway because I think, you know, he's, he's already, I mean, he, you're not even going to try to make him a starter down the road. So if Caraway comes up and he's awesome, fine. He's just going to be on your team going forward. Crochet and Detmers, I, I think you, you want to develop as a starter. They probably need some time in the minor leagues to, you know, get. Although Detmers is pretty polished, but I, I think Caraway would be your your, your leading candidate um, to be the number one guy. You know, he's your leading candidate to make it to the big leagues this year. If I had to pick just one. All right, so let's change gears here a little bit and. Uh we've been doing a series of stories where we are looking at uh, where the farm systems rank in terms of how much uh, potential and how much talent they have at a particular position. And we've combined first and third base into corner infielders, shortstop and second base into middle infielders. And then we've also looked at catchers and we'll continue uh, tomorrow or Thursday rather, with uh, middle infielders, I'm sorry, outfielders, and then we have left-handed and right-handed pitchers. Uh, the most recent list we did was middle infielders, which is sort of a, a high-profile glory sort of uh, position with shortstops and so many uh, 
outstanding shortstops. And uh, this list is led by the Rays, largely on the strength of baseball's number one overall prospect, Wander Franco. But um, this isn't a case where, uh, like when we did catchers first and the Orioles were first and the only top 30 prospect on their that's a catcher on their list was Adley Rutschman and he, he carried them. Um, this isn't a situation where it's just Wander Franco. The Rays have um, two other top 100 prospects that are middle infielders and uh, they have, uh, is, is that the strength of their system? Yeah, I would say so. Just not, not necessarily middle infielders, but just that versatile athletic uh, you know, and an often like switch hitting type of player, you know, the Rays obviously bounce guys all over. They employ a lot of platoons on the roster. Um, so that type of versatility, especially, you know, from guys like Franco, Bruhan Edwards, who are all uh, switch hitters with speed, with, with excellent contact skills um, is kind of their MO these days when it comes to targeting and developing talent. And, you know, outside of those three on, on the race top 30 list, uh, they also have three more switch hitting middle infielders and in Greg Jones, Taylor Walls, and, and Lucius Fox. Um, so there's there's no shortage of quality middle infield talent with them. And, and also they uh, uh, Arizona State shortstop um, uh, Alika Williams, who they drafted this past year. You know that that's definitely the raised type of player because I was always told growing up playing baseball. You know, like when I was talking to scouts, it's like you know we look for shortstops because in theory you can shortstops are athletic enough that you can put them anywhere on the field if it came to it. And I think that kind of sums up the, uh, the Rays philosophy when it comes to developing talent as it relates to, um, you know, their major league roster and how they go about business there. So after the Rays on this list, uh, number two, the Blue Jays, uh, number three are the Dodgers, number four, the Indians, Number five, the Padres. Number six, the Pirates. Number seven, the Twins. Number eight, Red Sox. Number nine, Mets. And number 10, Rangers. Um, Jim, any one of your teams that uh, stands out to you here, or, or even uh, maybe a team that's, that's not one of yours, but uh, that is of interest to you here? I, I, the Blue Jays interested me because, you know, I you know, we touched on Jordan Groshans just briefly talking about player pools. I think Jordan Groshans has the potential to, to emerge as one of the better infield prospects in baseball. And then they also got Austin Martin, the best pure hitter in this year's draft class, who his position's a little bit in question, but if he stays, you know, up the middle, I mean, they already have all these infielders they've gotten to Toronto, but, but uh, Austin Martin, Jordan Groshans, double play combination, or having those two guys in the infield with, Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero and maybe Kevin Biggio and other guys. It's, it's the Blue Jays. It impressed me that the Blue Jays continue to have more, more infield talent coming when they've already sent a bunch to the big leagues. Yeah, that is a, a loaded young infield of the future for the Blue Jays, for sure. It'll be interesting to see how, how that all uh, pans out and, and kind of the long run, uh, how to find enough positions for these guys to play. Um, so third on the list, Dodgers and Gavin Lux, baseball's number two overall prospect. Um, I quizzed you guys before we came on here 
about uh, which teams have been represented on each of the first three lists that we've done, uh, catchers, corner infielders, and middle infielders. And the only two to this point uh, that have been on all three lists, the Dodgers, and I, maybe somewhat surprisingly, the Rangers. I'll let Jim speak to the Rangers, but I, I don't feel like that's that much of a surprise considering you know, the athletic type of players they target, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think, you, you know, you, you, they constantly are signing, you know, shortstops and, you know, Maximo Acosta has a chance to be, you know, very exciting player out of last year's international class. Anderson Tejeda has, has drawn a lot of rave reviews when he's been healthy. You know, Slavis Basabi is a guy who's hit very well um, in his short pro career. You know, Chris Cease has had trouble staying healthy, you know, and then you, and you, you throw in guys like Nick Solak, who they traded for and looked great down the stretch. Uh, Justin Foscue was the number 14 overall pick in this year's draft. I think it's, you know, I, I think we didn't look at this, but I think most teams probably have a pretty high concentration of, of middle infielders or at least former shortstops in their system. Um, so, you know, and the Rangers are, have, have traditionally been a high ceiling team. So that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me too much that they'd be on this list. And the, the Dodgers, of course, should be no surprise at all as, uh, you know, we're just we're looking at specific positions right now. But the Dodgers have been uh, in our top 10 list of uh, best farm systems overall. They're, they're the only team that has been ranked in the top 10 every single time that we've done it going back to 2015, both preseason and mid-season lists. And Jim, I know you've, you've talked about this repeatedly, the fact that they're able to maintain this almost impossible balance of succeeding at the big league level and continuing to have one of baseball's strongest farm systems. No, yeah. I mean, and it's like, if there was, we haven't worked out all these lists yet, but if we, if, if, if you were to tell me, you know, which team, you know, would have, you know, be recognized on more of these top 10 lists than anybody. And if it were the Dodgers, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Cause I mean, it, it, it's usually, you know, these things run slick, cyclically. I can't even say that word. They run in cycles, I guess is an easier way to say it. They run in cycles in that if you're winning at the big league level, you're trading prospects, you have lower bonus pools, you're picking lower in the draft and your farm system seems to ebb. And, and that just has not happened with the Dodgers who, you know, have not, won a world series recently, but have, have been right there in position. They've been as good as any team in the big leagues over the last five or six years. And their farm system, it just seems like it's, it's one wave after another. And, you know, I mean, you know, you look at, you know, how good they've been and just for guys who should be up this year, they have Gavin Lux and Dustin May and Josiah Gray and Bruce Dark Greaterall and Tony Gonsolin. I mean, that's a pretty good rookie class. And, and then next year, you know, Caber Ruiz is going to be up. And then you have Michael Bush and Cody Hosey behind them. And I mean, even, you know, they, they had extra picks in this year's draft again and, and made the most of those. So they, 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 to me, they don't have the world series ring that, that, that they want, obviously, but I, I really think that organization is clicking on all cylinders in terms of winning at the big leagues and developing players. And, and then I think they do a great job, not just of signing players, but, but developing them. They seem to have a lot of both pitchers and position players who get a lot better, you know, 
first round picks like Gavin Lux, but also less highly touted guys like, you know, Brett DeJuss and, and Zach McKinstry, you know, who were like 32nd round picks who all of a sudden look like they're going to be part of the Dodgers in the very near. And I would also say the Dodgers, I feel like they do a very good job of helping prospects, especially hitters, reinvent themselves at a point in their minor league career when it seems like they may be stalling out. Um, Justin Turner, Max Muncie, guys like that, you know, reinvent their swings, reinvent their approach and, and get them back on track. And, you know, those are uh, low risk, <laughs> low risk development projects who become all stars for them. Yeah, when we did the um, when we polled GMs and scouts, um, I want to say didn't didn't wasn't the overwhelming majority of people voted for the Dodgers um, when we asked which farm system develops hitters best? I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Although our 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 AWOL Jonathan Mayo uh, spearheaded that and. And he would know the answer, but I think that's right also. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at it now. Uh, I was going to say, I'm, I don't know if I'll be able to find the our Google Doc in time to weigh in on this. Fifty, 54% of respondents cited the Dodgers there, which I think was one of the higher percentages um, in of all the questions that we asked. I think the Dodgers getting 54% of those votes was among the highest. And then uh, on the other side of that, uh, which team – best developed pitchers, uh, the Indians got 33% of the vote on that one. But yeah, the Dodgers were the clear uh, answer for most people in terms of who develops hitters best. Jim, do you, do you know whether, uh, is there anything in particular to attribute that to? Is there someone in that development system that, that has been there for a while that is, that, that can largely be attributed to or anything specifically that, that could be cited there? You know, I don't know if it's any one person. I just think they do a really good job of having everybody on the same page from a yeah. scouting standpoint, an analytical standpoint, a, a coaching teaching standpoint. I, I think they, they do a really good job of identifying players, you know, who, they can, you know, who are already good, but that they can make better. You know, like mm-hmm. if you look at that, like Gavin Lux, who was a first round pick and he, he struggled his first year in pro ball. I, I mean, he wasn't a top 100 guy for us going into this, this into 2019, right? Or was he? I think he was going into he 19, but okay. not, not 18. But because he, he came on at the end of 18, and he, he might right. not have been, but he, was, he wasn't super high. But, but all I say is like they got him, you know, he was really struggling. They, they, they got him to use his, his legs better in his swing and he got, you know, a little stronger and the back got quicker. I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this and sound like an idiot cause I'm not a hitting guru, but I, I think they have a very good understanding of what, you know, not that everybody's a cookie cutter, but like what works in a swing and what doesn't. And I think they communicate it really well, which is super important to get guys to, you know, understand and buy in. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, the skit, you know, it's just, everything works so well in tandem, you know, the, the scouts know what they want to go out and look for analytics. People, you know, have things they look for. The coaches are able to implement things. So I don't, I don't think it's any one person. I just think it's an organization that everybody's on the same page. And I think they do a really good job with their pitchers too. Um, you know, which we're not talking about here, but just in terms of developing the system as a whole, you know, guys like Dustin May or Tony Gonsolin or, or Brett DeGus. I mean, none of those guys were first round picks. You know, Tony Gonsolin was a senior sign. Brett DeGus was a 32nd rounder. Then the Santana you know, before he got hurt. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. who's a, a position player when they signed him, and on, right. you know, they, they just do a, a really nice job, I think, on, on both sides. So it's, uh, I don't, I don't think the Dodgers are going anywhere anytime soon because, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing will be how do they cram all this talent into one big league roster, and <laughs> they're also wealthy enough to pretty much go out and, and buy anybody who they wanted, you know, from that standpoint. All right, um, Mike, when we were talking about the teams with the most talent in the middle infield. And you were talking a little bit about the Rays, and and I know you were specifically talking about uh, their bevy of impressive switch hitters, which uh, is no coincidence because you are uh, just finished up a story on baseball's best switch hitting prospects. And I didn't notice it when we were going over the list, but it is quite, uh, quite Rays heavy. Yeah, it is. Um, and and like we said before, uh, Wander Franco, our top prospect, our number one prospect, um, Vidal Brujan and Xavier Edwards are all switch hitting middle infielders, all, all top 100 prospects. Um, and, you know, that's there's a lot that can be done with guys like that in terms of plugging them in and finding a role for them, especially in a shortened season. Um, I know uh, I'm pretty sure Edwards isn't part of the player pool. Correct. I don't, I don't remember seeing his name, um, but just in general, I mean, uh, the Rays do a hell of a job of cornering the market on on those types of players, don't they? Yeah, he is. He is not currently on the list. Okay, yeah, um, but at the same time, you know, that's a guy who maybe in a in a less deep organization with fewer um, athletic, um, you know double A-ish or above type players that he would be the type of guy to be featured in a player pool, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, but basically. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, yeah. Mike, too. I mean, Greg Jones, their first round pick last year is another yeah. guy who kind of fits that same profile. You know, yeah, switch absolutely. Hitter, switch hitter, speedster. Early run. Yep. Yep. Um, capable of moving to a different position if needed. Because um, obviously the Rays have stockpiled quite a bit of, of middle infield talent. But I mean, you see, uh, you see, Guys like Brandon Lau has seen time in the outfield. Joey Wendell's flirted in the outfield. Guys like that. Um, it, it's not crazy to think that some of these guys, despite being very good middle infielders, could help the team fill a role in a position they've really never played before. So let's look at the, the list a little more broadly outside yeah. of just the days. Um, and I want you to also talk a little bit about how the list was constructed um, it would be one thing just to look at the top 100 prospects list and and just peel the players off of there and say, here are the best switch hitting prospects in baseball. Um, but I think you're looking more at just the offensive side, right? And not really uh, the overall prospect here. You're looking at strictly who the best switch hitting hitters are in terms of their offensive potential. And you talked about Wander Franco being number one. Uh, next on the list is Adley Rutschman. Third is Jason Dominguez. Then Cardinals outfielder Dylan Carlson. Braves outfielder Drew Waters. Fidel Brujan, who you mentioned in regards to the uh, Rays. Ronnie Mauricio of the Mets. Uh, Xavier Edwards. Uh, Geraldo Perdomo of D-backs. And Kiebert Ruiz of the Dodgers. Those are all top 100 prospects. And then this kind of broke down neatly 
uh, because we're, there were 10 of those. And then we looked at 10 more who were outside of the top 100 prospects. Yeah. So going back to what you're saying, in order to come up with the rankings in the order for this article, it was, you know, we basically just ignored defensive value, ignored positional value. You know, we're looking at just what does this guy do at the plate? Um, you know, his offensive tools and skills and what that means for his long-term projection as a hitter. And that's why you see, you know, Jason Dominguez is, I think you just said number three, three on the list here. Yeah. yeah number three on the list. Yeah. When there are several other guys who rank higher than him on the top 100, you know, that, that's a guy who's uh, the, the players who project best to hit for average and power are the ones you're going to find at the top of this list. The guys who scouts feel are very confident about have the potential to, um, you know, make a legitimate impact with the bat in the big leagues. And by that, I mean, hitting for both average and power. Um, one thing of note to take into that I took into consideration was guy's speed, because, you know, the reality is a faster guy who puts the ball on the ground is going to steal more hits and have a higher batting average on balls in play. So I think that's important to consider. Um, but more so it was looking at like just how good of a hitter are some of these guys. And that's, that's how we came up with the list. And for those who ranked outside the top 10, basically the process was compiling a list of all the seemingly viable names um, and running it past Jim and Jonathan to see who they liked. And then from there coming up with a draft of the list and, and tweaking until the, the final product was ready. And Mike, I think a couple things that you cited there um, that you're looking at just the offensive projection, ignoring position, defense. Um, you know, I, th I think that in particular really speaks to the bat of Adley Rutschman. He's number two on this list, and that's not, that's, that's not considering the fact that the value that he brings for being, you know, potentially a potential gold glove caliber catcher. Yeah, exactly. That's that has nothing to do with his defensive abilities, and you know, you know, I think the uh, the thinking with him is like this guy's defense is so good that you know he'll be a big leaguer, regardless of whether the you know whether he lives up to the sixty hit sixty power profile that that you know we've given him, um, you know, and, and similarly, if you go down to list to number um, seventeen, you're going to find Cal Raley Mariners, uh, third round pick from the 2018 draft, who hit 29 homers last year and reached double A in his first full season. Um, he's power over hit, whereas Adley is hit and power. So I think that kind of uh, explains the, um, the what 15 slot difference in their rankings here. But you know, if if we were to include defensive value then a switch hitter who, you know, has the potential to stick behind the plate is going to rank much higher than 17. Yeah. Rutschman also not getting uh, the benefit that you were talking about of, of having the wheels to steal hits as a, as a switch hitter. Yeah, exactly. Which I think, which I think is important. Um, and he can, tack, he can tackle Christian McCaffrey on a kickoff. So he, he, he moves. Okay. Wait, is that actually a thing? I've somehow missed that. He, when, when he kicked at Oregon State, he, he kicked a little bit. He was our kickoff guy's freshman year. He tackled Christian McCaffrey on a kickoff return when they played Stanford. And McCaffrey looked up at him and he said something like, tell me you're not the kicker. And Rutschman's like, yeah, I'm the kicker. He's not like the average kicker, though. You know, he's not the prototypical yeah. undersized kicker that you think of. True. true. Yeah, true, true. So 
some of the other names on this list um, that you guys find intriguing. And, and Jim, I think you want to talk a little bit about Jason Dominguez, who I mentioned earlier, the youngest player on our top 100 prospects list. Um, and obviously the youngest player on, on this list as well. He, I mean, <laughs> I always feel ridiculous because I, I, I always say the same thing about Jason Dominguez that like this guy has yet to play a pro game. And he, and it's, it's, it's already crazy that people are comparing him to some of the best athletes in baseball history, like Bo Jackson and Mickey Mantle and Mike Trout. But yet every time I re- write about him or speak about him, I say the same thing. So I just perpetuate my, my own incredulity, I guess. But, uh, I mean, this guy, I'd never heard an amateur player, an international amateur player talked about like Jason Dominguez was. I had, I had teams telling me who knew I did the Yankees top 30 telling me two years in advance, this guy's going to be at the top of your Yankees list when they signed him, like when he was 14 years old, that's how much talk there was about him. And it's like, if you wanted to be, uh, I wouldn't even say generous. I'll just say aggressive. I think you could put 65s or better on all five of his tools. I mean, he's, got bat speed he's got strength his swing looks great from both sides of the plate he's an advanced hitter he's got plate discipline you know he's not just you know going up there wailing away uh you know he could probably play anywhere too i mean some clubs worked him out as a catcher although obviously if you put him behind the plate that would you know probably detract from his offensive production i i just i've never heard of a, of a i guess he's 17 now but a 16 year old player talked about like Jason Dominguez ever. So he, he's really interesting. And then, I mean, just kind of continuing on, on that theme, you know, when, when Mike, you know, expanded the list beyond the top 100, I mean, the guy who was, you know, right up there behind Dominguez on, on last year's international list, Robert Poisson is interesting to me too. I don't think he's as physical as Jason Dominguez. I mean, who is, but, you know, he's, he's 6'3", 165. I mean, this guy's going to get a lot stronger. Um, I mean, he might be a, a 2020-plus defender at shortstop. So, I mean, you know, I, I was really looking forward to seeing these guys play this year. I, I think if, if we go back and run run tape from, you know, podcasts back in February and March, we were talking about guys we were looking forward to seeing play this year, and Dominguez and, and Poisson and, and Maximo Acosta, who – is not a switch hitter, but who I touched on earlier, were probably at the top of my list. So, uh, you know, I, I think these guys are going to be really exciting to watch once once their careers get going. And Fasone is yeah. in the A's player pool, I remember seeing too. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting too. And I think it's I think it's just worth noting too that the two guys were, were talking about Dominguez and Fasone um, were the only two from last year's interna- international class to receive five or more uh, million dollar signing bonus. So like they were very highly touted prospects before this. Jim, I know you, you said that, you know, you can't think of a time that an international prospect has, has had this much hype. And, you know, that's, that's saying a lot considering the amount of hype that Wander Franco had right off the bat. And he was our number one prospect on our international top 30 prospects list. And, and Vladito had- the year before him. And even Kevin Maiton was hyped too. I yeah, mean, well, guys get more hyped than exactly they have. Where I was go with that. Yeah, I was gonna say guys get more hype these days because there is more hype surrounding these guys. But again, I mean, I was hearing it 
I mean, in my time, like I'd say the most hype before him would be Kevin Maiton, which I'm sure if you're a Yankees fan, you're like, wait a minute, what? Like, that's not what I want to hear. But because Maiton was hyped like a year in advance, but like Dominguez, I mean, I, and I don't do, I mean, as our listeners probably know, like Jesse Sanchez does our international stuff, the international amateur stuff when they're international amateurs, Mike and Jonathan and I write about guys once they sign with teams and get going. But, um, I had team, I had people just bringing Dominguez up to me. It wasn't like I knew who he was at first, like casually in conversation two years before he signed, which just floored me. And like I said, there there was a guy with a team who, who does international stuff, who knows I do our Yankees list, and he told me two years in advance he'll be number one on your Yankees list when they sign him. He might be the best international guy I think I've ever seen. Um, so, like, and he was definitely number one on my list of guys I wanted to see. He was not. I, I did get to go to Tampa and Yankees camp this year, but it was early, and he was not in camp yet. Um, and I was really looking forward to seeing if he was going to be on that that Franco Vlad Jr. path where you send him to the Appy League and he tears it up at age 17. And I don't think they were going to. But I know there was even some discussion, like, you know, there were people in the Yankees organization who felt like you could put this guy in low class A and he'd be fine at, at age 17. So we'll probably have to wait a year, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Maybe they'd have held him back and extended until the weather warms up a little bit, then send him to full season ball. Yeah, or maybe he tears up the Appy League and they send him to the Sally League in August. If yep. he, you know, same, just, idea, same idea, yeah. Yeah, like it's like, but like I said, I mean, I don't even do that much international stuff. And I had guys raving to me, and th- that's how much hype this guy had. I'm I'm looking back at the grades that we had on Maiton, um, who I guess was pretty similar in the fact that these guys are both switch hitting, right-handed throwing, shortstops, similar build. Um, Maiton, and you know, granted, these grades will fluctuate. From year to year, um, you know, these things are you, you can't put too much stock in the grades that you're putting on these uh, 15-year-old kids at the time. But we did we actually had higher grades on my ton. And, you know, these these may have been grades may have been generally ratcheted down a bit across the board since then. Uh, are you looking at Jesse's grades, Jason? Or are you looking at the grades yeah. on the top 100? Because we yeah, I'm, I'm looking back at the, at his grades when he was on the international top 30. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. so those, those he had a 60 hit, 60 power, 40 run, 70 arm, and 50 field compared to Dominguez, uh, who last year had 55 hit and 55 power, 60 run, 60 arm, and 55 field. So yeah, um, I mean, my, I, my like, was certainly, uh, you know, it, to me, looking back, he, he had the most buzz about him uh, until I, I think even more so than, than Wander, it seemed. Yeah. Like Wander yeah. and Vlad were both like, like really good player. Like, I'm not even sure. I'm not looking at the list right now, Jason. If, if Jesse had Vlad junior number one on his list, although it also, combines with Cubans, which are kind of a separate category. They're not the same as a 16-year-old international amateur. And I think both Vlad and Wander were considered, okay, you know, best player in his class, but you weren't going crazy over them like we eventually would just a couple of years into their minor league career when they became the best prospect in baseball. Um, you know, they were just, you know, if there's a difference 
really good, but not nobody was like saying, "Oh, these guys are going to be the best prospect in baseball in two years," which they were. Yeah, I'm just looking at those old lists now. Uh, Maton was number two behind Luis Robert on the 2016 list. Vlad was number seven on the 2015 list. And Wander, I believe Wander was number one for his class, right? Yeah, and what, what happens a lot of times is these guys... Wander know, was number two behind Otani, but essentially right. number one, yeah. And and similar thing happened with, with each of these guys. Like Vlad, you said, was number seven on the list. Mm-hmm. It was a little misleading, and Jim just touched on it, where... Uh, these Cuban players will be ranked as well. And they're several years older than the kids who were 16 when they signed. So in uh, 2015, when Vlad was number seven, you had Yadier Alvarez, Vladimir Gutierrez, Yusniel Diaz, Alfredo Rodriguez, uh, all of whom were considerably older. Um, And then Eddie Martinez, another Cuban, and Lucius Fox, who was uh, kind of an outlier there uh, and kind of an interesting situation. But um, yeah, that's six million dollar Lucius Fox. Yeah. And yep. Uh, also on that list, well down the list, if you scroll down, Juan Soto was number 25 and Fernando Tatis Jr. was number 30 on that list. Well, at least with Tatis Jr., which was, like, I remember, like, I did the White Sox list back then, and the White Sox list was not a good top 30, and I did not even put him on the list. In part, he, he just, he, he wasn't as physically developed as he became. I, I was talking to some Padres guys in spring training a couple of years ago, and I think, that, you know, they got him in a trade. Uh, you know, A.J. Preller, who is, like, almost a maniacal scout and kind of liked him, and they had guys who liked him, so they got him in the trade. Um, and then he went to like their first instructional league and he'd gotten stronger and quicker and, 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 and everything. And it, it was a totally different player. So I think he kind of went through a little bit of a, a physical metamorphosis, like a, like a year afterward, you know, and kind of blossomed a little bit late, you know, Soto, I think, you know, maybe he ranked that low because he was more of a, an all bat player. You know, he, I mean, he wasn't, he was not a horrible athlete, but he was, you know, he wasn't one of these five tool athletes. It was more just like, Oh, real interesting bat, but man, that's a, that's a pretty good list. All right. So guys, uh, just before we came on this afternoon, uh, there were a couple of big signings, draft signings. Um, and I know we talked about this a little bit last week, Jim, and that, you know, you expect, probably every drafted player in this year's class to sign. So it's not a surprise that these guys are signing, but there were a couple notable ones just before we came on the air, a couple of record breakers. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think I'm probably would win the competition for person in the world, most obsessed with bonus round by record. I've been tracking that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for several years as a baseball America. And we had, we had two bonus rounds by record. One of them was the overall record, but Cole Wilcox signed with the Padres today. We had him projected as a first rounder. He lasted until the third round. The Padres signed him in the third round for $3.3 million, which breaks the third round record that was set way back in last year <laughs> by the Padres at $3 million uh, to, to outfielder Hudson head. Um, you know, and it was, 
I mean, it's, it's such a weird year with only five rounds of the draft. I mean, yeah, I, I still think I haven't heard of anything with a failed physical or negotiations gone awry. And I think most of these numbers were kind of agreed upon before the draft anyway. Um, I, I do think almost all these guys will probably sign. Like if I had to, I, I'd still say uh, as of now, I think all 160 guys will sign. So like Wilcox's number wasn't a surprise. That had been kind of floated out there for, you know, since the draft. And then the all-time bonus record today uh, Spencer Torkelson, uh, number one overall pick by the Tigers. He signed for $8,416,300 as his bonus. It's interesting, both the AP and ESPN are reporting, and it's true, you get like there's a contract execution bonus on top of that. So he's technically getting $8,418,800, but the signing bonus portion of that is, is $8,416,300 which breaks Adley Rutschman's record of 8.1 million. He got his number one pick from the Orioles a year ago. Um, it also makes him the only player in the bonus pool era, which began 2012, to get slot. He's technically $1,000 over slot at the number one overall pick. That had not happened before. But uh, So, yeah, two, uh, two bonus records by round and one all-time uh, bonus record today. So I think where we stand now is this is an is not an exact count um, because there there are certainly some deals that have not been reported yet that we may not know about that aren't official. But approximately 115 out of the 160 players drafted to this point have been uh, signed or agreed to deals, and I think we're down to five first rounders remaining. Yes, the, the five first rounders. And again, I don't think there's anything going on with these. It's just some of them take a little bit longer. You have issues in some cases where teams doing physicals in Florida. Obviously, Florida is not the easiest place to you know, travel safely right now. So things have been delayed a little bit. But you've got the, the five unsigned guys. And there's, there's no reason to think any of these guys won't sign. Are Max Meyer of the Marlins at number three. I think that one could get announced literally any day now. Um, Austin Martin, number five overall to the Blue Jays. Uh, Patrick Bailey, number 13 overall to the Giants. Nick York, who was the biggest surprise in the first round, going 17th to the Red Sox. And then Garrett Mitchell, who who might be the steal of the first round, lasting until number 20 with the Brewers. Th- those are our five unsigned first round picks as of now. And, you know, I, I think it's very possible that you know, we, we've seen a big uptick in the last, you know, seven days or so in terms of physicals getting done and deals getting finalized. I, you know, I, I think it's possible that we could have all but five or 10 players signed by the end of next week. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we're going to go to the August 1st deadline in in very many cases at all, if any. And I, and I think the reason the deadline was extended this year was just in case it was difficult to get physicals done. It gave teams more leeway in, in terms of that. But, I mean, we, we might go 160 for 160. Jim, I know that you answer this question repeatedly. We can address it here. We can even record this, and, and you, can, you can have it on hand to tweet out anytime somebody asks you. When, when do these draftees get added to their Team Top 30 prospects list? Yeah, it's like it. Well, hey, I get asked that question. I'm sure Mike does. I know Jonathan does every day. 
Um, we are waiting until the signing deadline because I don't think you can put guys on lists before they are officially parts of their new organization. Um, but the signing deadline is August 1st. Um, I assume we'll work on these in advance and have them ready to go probably August 2nd. Um, if, you know, we were talking before, if the vast, vast majority of these guys sign and we're, you know, got three guys unsigned by mid-July, maybe we go early. But as of now, the official plan would be after the signing deadline, which is traditionally what we do every year. And the signing deadline is August 1st. All right, guys. Um, That's going to do it for this episode of the Pipeline Podcast. We'll be back at you a week from today. Thanks for joining in. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB.